on the record flips to the B side. Happy holidays, B-side fans. Thanks for tuning in. As is our tradition for these holiday shows, we have a potluck of stories for you from our past adventures in radio. In today's mix, you'll hear what it's like to be a guinea pig in a drug study and learn about a new trend in Christmas tree shopping. As on the record, flips to the B-side. First up, in celebration of the holidays, we bring you a story about Christmas in the off-season. Of course, there are those who start preparing for the holiday practically after Labor Day, and others who find the whole Santa thing worn out and over-commercialized. Beside Sarah Neal was part of the second camp, until she moved to Alaska last summer and found Christmas in July. Here's the story of what happened when Sarah discovered the town of North Pole. I'm not what you'd call faithful. Hell, I'm not even religious. But I do love Christmas. Now, a year ago, I would have qualified this statement. I don't love Christmas in the decorate your lawn with Santa scenes the day after Halloween kind of way. For me, Christmas is all about family. I go to Indiana, we cook, we drink lots of red wine and tell stories. That's it. As for Santa Claus, haven't you heard yet? Sorry kids, he doesn't exist. But that was before I took a tour of North Pole. We are in North Pole, Alaska. North Pole, Alaska is, you know, Santa Claus, Christmas, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. What was that up there? Probably a dump truck. A dump truck? Have you seen those things before, where you're from? <laughs> <laughs> That's North Pole native Jeremy Smith. Jeremy doesn't look like someone who grew up in Christmas land. He's a young, t-shirt, jeans, Nike-wearing guy. When I told him I loved Christmas, but hated Santa and copious amounts of decorations, he smirked and offered to give me a tour of his hometown. On Rudolph Lane now, driving through. On the right is a good example of North Pole construction quality for you. <laughs> it's got wood siding of a sort that you used to buy in store, like maybe Kmart back in the 70s. Um, there is exposed insulation all over the place. To be fair to North Pole, I'll tell you that exposed insulation is prevalent throughout Alaska. But I will give Jeremy this. Shoddy construction does seem more egregious here because it's highlighted by tinsel, lights, and sparkly Christmas decorations, which are basically everywhere. We actually spent taxpayer money buying special light poles that look like candy canes, have a little hook on the top, and that was a bone of contention for some people. On the left is Santaland RV Park, North Pole, Alaska. We'll just drive in here really quick. Now, with this kind of dedication to Christmas and the name and all, You'd think we were actually at the North Pole. Not so. We're a two-hour drive south of the Arctic Circle, folks. This town was named after a store. The Santa Claus House. Complete with a 50-foot wooden Santa statue where you can get your picture taken sitting in a sleigh and a reindeer in a chain-link pen. The horns are fuzzy. They are. There used to be two in here, but I think one of them became sick. Yeah, it's kind of sad. 
The Santa Claus house is now a gift shop, but 50 years ago, it was a general store, owned and operated by a man who played Santa for the kids at Christmas. The store was the start of the town, which was later named North Pole in its honor, creating a tourist magnet and some very weird Christmas experiences for the local children. Ever wonder what happened to your letters to Santa? Just ask anyone who's been through the North Pole public school system. While I was a kid in Indianapolis, Indiana, writing letters to Mr. Claus, Jeremy was a kid in junior high school with the confusing experience of answering them. When I became an older kid, all of a sudden, you know, guess what we're doing today, kids? What's that? We're answering Santa Claus letters. And when I heard about that, I thought, well, wait a minute, did you steal them from him? And then I, I came to the realization, oh, okay, so he has so many letters, he can't answer them all himself, so you're helping. I'm so shocked by this. All I can do is follow Jeremy to the entrance of the store, where we meet Linda File, who's greeting tourists and sweeping the walk. She says she used to work at the post office. So I ask her if all North Pole children have to answer Santa letters. Well, what happens with the Santa mail is a lot of it does just end up going from post office to post office and someone says, oh, you know, North Pole, Alaska, that's where they send all that stuff. Do you have kids? Yes, I do, yeah. My youngest is a 10-year-old. When did they stop believing in Santa living in North Pole? We all just, we never really talk about not believing in Santa. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, there's just some happiness involved with that. This is traditionally where people come to visit Santa Claus. Because Chris Kringle, which is the name of the man who works as Santa here, looks so authentic. His name is Chris Kringle. Yes, it is. Legally, you can ask to see his driver's license. His name is Chris Kringle. Is he here today? Yes, he is. Do you think he'd talk to me? Oh, I think he would. That's excellent. <laughs> Exclusive interview with Santa Claus coming up next. But when we walked in, Chris was on his lunch break. So Jeremy and I waited by wandering around the store. We found a penny pressing machine, snarling bears carved out of wood, and a couple of surprises. An area dedicated to political artifacts. Goldwater, vote in 64, women for Stevens. And a display of popular toys from each decade, including a doll I got for Christmas when I was two. I had, except, okay, so the big one that's sitting down, her hands were exactly the same in everything. I remember asking for this doll and feeling like I had the only one in the world. I named her Amy. Now, I know most of my brain understands there are hundreds of thousands of Amy-like dolls out there, but it seems there's still one little part of my brain that doesn't quite get this, because seeing her in North Pole, Alaska, made me feel like I was home. So, where'd you know? <laughs> Who's returned from lunch? Now, speaking with people who worked at the store, I managed to put together a snapshot of Chris Kringle's life, and this is how it goes. Chris lived in the lower 48, where life for him was hard. Then one day, he had a vision. In the vision, God told him to change his name, become Santa Claus, and move to North Pole, Alaska. The vision made every hair on his body turn white, except for one place on his arm, where his friend grabbed him and asked him what he was seeing. This story? didn't warm my heart. Instead, I thought to myself as I watched him ho-ho-hoing somebody's grandma, wow, 
This is the biggest faker of them all, the epitome of everything false in Christmas. So, I decided to ask Chris what he did for a living before he became Santa Claus, and if, through dedicating himself in such an unusual way to such an unusual career choice, he found an unusual amount of satisfaction. <laughs> but when it's my turn, I walk up to the throne and do something very different. I sit in his lap. I was gonna ask you for, for Christmas stuff. I haven't seen you for a really long time. Well, that's because I've been here and you weren't, right? <laughs> what was I thinking? Well, probably out playing baseball and having fun with your friends and hopefully going to bed on time as well Always. as eating your supper. Good, <laughs> good. See, see, there you go. <laughs> Enjoy, have fun, God bless, and Merry Christmas indeed. Merry Christmas. Thank you, Santa. Take care of yourself. Did you want to talk to him? No, I'm okay. Are you sure? I'll come back um, right. later. So, here I am, giggling like an idiot on Santa's lap. Why? I puzzled about it for a while, and I think I figured it out. North Pole may not be a pole, and Chris isn't Santa, but so what? I now think the truth is completely irrelevant with something like this. Christmas isn't about truth, it's about getting what you want. You picture it, you ask for it, you get it. It's about learning how to dream. And maybe Jeremy, who grew up around it 24-7, 365 days a year, and had to answer Santa's letters, is a little immune to it. But apparently, I'm not. B-side Sarah Neal is still in Alaska. She says she wants Santa to bring her some bunny boots this year, because it's 30 degrees below zero. Santa Claus is coming to town. Looking for the perfect gift for a younger brother or cousin? Tired of Barbie and G.I. Joe? May I suggest the limited edition George W. Bush talking action figure? A Texas company, Toy Presidents Incorporated, recently released this somewhat realistic version of the 43rd president. While B-Side doesn't endorse toys or politicians, we are willing to interview them. Dave Gilson recently went into the studio and produced this encounter with the pre-programmed plastic president. Mr. President? Welcome to B-Side. Glad to be in the midst of patriots. It's funny, you look much bigger in person than you do in photographs. <clears throat> anyway, when someone presses your American flag lapel pin, you respond with one of 25 different sound bites. Now I know our listeners are eager to hear what you have to say about any number of pressing topics. So I'll open the floor to you. What's on your mind today? Double taxation is bad for our economy. Double taxation is wrong. I can honestly say... That's the first time I've ever met a doll with an opinion on tax policy. Seeing as we're in tough economic times, 
it was refreshing to see that you're on sale for just $29.95. That's pretty affordable for a talking action figure. I strongly believe we need to make sure that consumer confidence stays high by giving people more of their own money back. The most important indicator of our economic strength is the growing skill and efficiency of the American worker. It's funny that you should mention the skill of America's workers, since you are, after all, manufactured in the People's Republic of China. Do you fear that too many of America's jobs in the presidential action figure sector are being exported overseas? The less reliant we are on foreign sources of the President of the United States, the better off we are in America. I'd like to ask you, as a man of action, how is the war on terrorism going? This isn't a Republican war, this isn't a Democrat war, this is an American war. This great nation will lead the world, and we will be successful. You recently got a very warm reception at the G.I. Joe convention in San Diego. It was very stirring to see a room full of little army men applaud your arrival in a remote control helicopter. Do you have a message for America's military action figures? Our nation is deeply grateful to all who serve in uniform. Some have said that a man of your stature isn't fit to lead the country in such a difficult time. What do you say to that? Powerful words. Powerful words indeed. Changing subjects for a moment. I'm very impressed by the level of detail in your outfit. For our listeners, I'd like to mention that you're wearing a hand-tailored blue polyester suit, a red silk tie, and plastic cowboy boots stamped with the presidential seal. But in the name of full disclosure, I have to ask, boxers or briefs? Mind if I take a peek? All right, let's see here. For the record, the limited edition George W. Bush talking action figure is wearing stars and stripes boxer shorts. Well, our time is almost out. But before we go, do you care to tell us where you're headed next? Rumor has it you're headed to a campaign fundraiser at Malibu Barbie's mansion. I'm ahead to Crawford after tonight. Mr. President... Thank you for joining us. I ask for you to pray for this great nation, and may God bless America. You've been listening to an exclusive interview with the George W. Bush talking action figure. I'm Dave Gilson. photos of their interview and listen to past shows on our website, www.bside-radio.org. You're listening to B-Side. I'm Mia Lobel, and this month we're bringing you a holiday potluck. The next item on our menu, a story we first aired in a show themed Going Somewhere, Going Nowhere. This piece falls into the category of Going Nowhere. When Aaron Ziabrowski left New Orleans in 1998, he didn't know where he was going. Soon, like some surreal country song, he found himself broke in Texas. He decided to enroll in a pharmaceutical drug study at a company called Pharmaco, where he would be kept in isolation for weeks. He had visions of easy money and plenty of time to work on his art. But he found that there's a certain kind of person who can make it in that environment, and it wasn't him. The day of the study, you get there in the morning, they call your number one by one. You go into a room where, with a nurse, they like look through your bags for any kind of um, study-breaking paraphernalia you might have. 
like books and clothes is all you're basically allowed. Like you can't bring a radio, you can't bring any kind of drug for anything. You can't bring aspirin, you can't bring Sudafed, you can't bring contact lenses. So they give you your scrubs and up you go to this elevator and uh, you go up like in twos and threes, you come out the elevator, you turn around like the elevator door closes and it says, if you open this door, alarm will sound. Okay, there were like two categories of people other than, you know, I'm sure actually my group fit into one of them. They were like newbies and they were like lifers. Um, a lifer is someone who's about 45 or 50 and has been doing pharmaceutical drug studies, making, I would guess, probably, if you did them all year round, probably like $20,000 a year at these studies. But these are guys who just come out of one study and basically re-enroll in another study. One pattern seemed to be that it's people trying to like kind of get back on their feet but they never really make it back because you're gone from life for a month and a half, you, of course, or like three weeks or whatever. You still have to like pay your rent. So you get out of study with like 2000 bucks, but you pay your rent and you buy groceries and you're like out of money again, so you got to do another study. These lifers have sort of ratings of the... They actually keep track of how many times they've done studies. Um, some guys had like a couple logs of studies they had done and the various drugs they had done and the various effects and all kinds of things. You were assigned a number, a group number, and a personal like ID number, and so you ended up with like the six-digit code, and um, you basically were known only as this code. Like you were scanned before you did everything. We all wore colored shirts. You had a shirt correlating to your study, and you always had to prominently wear it so that you could always be identified as being in your study. And you know, it, it actually became like a sort of team kind of atmosphere where it was like our shirts against their shirts, and we had the coolest study by far because our shirts were maroon. Lots of the people in the in the Pharmaco I found to be sort of um, aspiring something, aspiring writers or aspiring actors or aspiring um, artists, although no one worked on anything in there, um, which you would think is kind of a perfect opportunity, even for myself. You know, I never, I didn't work on one drawing in there, which is very strange because I had plenty of, you know, 18 days of nothing to do, basically. It does seem like a large window to work on your craft, although it just doesn't, the atmosphere is terrible for it. That's ultimately the problem, in my opinion, is that it's, it's uninspiring as hell. The schedule was we would take drugs every fourth day in the morning. That day we would give about three milliliters of blood 11 times. Then the next day it was four, and then the day after that it was two. And then you had a day off of giving blood, and then you dosed again, and you did this cycle four times. One day is the same as the next, and it, it it's all sort of just progresses very, 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 very slowly. Um, you're watching the clock. You like are waiting for twelve twenty-two or whatever your lunchtime is. You know it's all like exactly portioned out, and you get one like four-ounce container of apple juice, and you get one cookie, and you get um, four ounces of noodles and one ounce of spaghetti sauce, and that's the highlight of the day. Mm -hmm. 
played some chess. We played lots of weird board games and variations of board tournaments, chess tournaments, pool tournaments, fighting over television times, you know, trying to trying to secure a Simpson slot. They did, at least on two occasions, possibly three, take us on walks. You would get uh, chaperoned by at least two nurse slash guards, and they would walk you around the outside of the warehouse-type white building several times. That was about it. Walking back in was terribly claustrophobic. And by the end, I was crazy. Like, the very last time they went, I don't think I even went because I didn't want to come back in. For that three weeks, we were all extremely close. Like, you... Seriously, it's kind of strange, but you come to know their, like, shitting pattern, you know what I mean? You come to know their, like, eating pattern. You, you come to know their, like, sleeping pattern. You come to know, like, their nap times. They're, like, what books they like to read. Like, you, you have nothing but time to talk. The last days were very, very hard, and, like, I was so ready to go when, when it was time to go. It's like a weird kind of hell. You're stuck with the exact same people, and you, you do run out of conversation. You do run out of new games to play. Leaving was glorious like the night before. We were all just stacked. And you walk by the office. They hand you your big fat-ass check. And we went and had a hell of a huge breakfast at the uh, Mexican specialty restaurant, Juan in a Million. Oh, it was phenomenal. Juan actually comes to every table to say hello. Like, Juan actually came to our table. Juan in a million. Really, what I walked away with it from is sort of a ego crash. You know what I mean? It was like... If there are things that I think, sort of independent things that I feel like I need to be doing and need to be working on, that I need to just be working on them. And my life situation is no more responsible for whether or not I'm doing this kind of work. Like, it's really ultimately just me having to decide that I need to work on these things. Because I blamed a lot of that on, like, I just didn't have time. Um, but then once I didn't have a life to maintain, you know, like, I basically I was the lesson was that I sat in Pharmaco and didn't do anything for 18 days. Um, when I had nothing but time. Zabrowski studies art and works at a frame shop. His story was produced by Gabriel Spitzer, who makes productive use of his time as a reporter and producer. And finally, this holiday season, a lot of us will shop for gifts online. But some people are taking their online holiday shopping to a whole new level, actually buying fresh-cut Christmas trees over the web. Besides, Tamara Keith has more. When Mike Satterstrom picks out a Christmas tree, he looks for one that's just the right size, with strong branches and rich coloring. 
He's not picking these trees for his own living room, but for the homes of people all over the country who've typed in their tree order. I think more and more people are looking at it because people are busier. They don't have time to go take a half a day to come out here and wander around out in a bunch of trees. Satterstrom, who owns a 30-acre choose-and-cut tree farm in California's Central Valley, is the only tree farmer in the state who's selling his trees over the Internet. Customers place their orders using email, then Satterstrom picks a fresh tree, cuts it down with a handsaw, and packages it for shipping. This is the box. It's 10 inches by 10 inches by 84 inches. Slide the tree in and send it on its way. UPS. With online customers, Satterstrom says there's a lot of pressure to pick the perfect tree. I have that responsibility to pick out a tree that they will like, someone that I don't know. That's a little tough sometimes. I think, I don't know, apparently it's gone all right. Nobody's called and complained. Customer Alex Boggs, who lives in Pasadena, isn't exactly complaining, but he admits he was a little disappointed when he saw his tree for the first time. It just wasn't really full. I'm used to a a tree that has a little more fullness. Meanwhile, Manhattan Beach software executive Mark Auburn couldn't be happier with his online purchase. The tree unwrapped and all the branches came out and it was was very great smell, much stronger than you find in a tree on on a lot. Auburn says his decision to buy was all about convenience. His tree cost about $70, including shipping, and he says it was well worth it. I've never really liked, you know, going to a tree farm and and buying trees that way. I mean, first off, I have a convertible, and trying to put a tree into a convertible is an exercise in frustration and pine on your car. Not in the water. Watch, don't get in the water. Back at Satterstrom's tree farm, the Avilas family has just picked out their tree, a five-foot Monterey pine. Dad Urbano says his three sons enjoy coming out to the farm and says he doesn't understand why someone would want to give up this kind of experience for a little convenience. I personally like bringing my kids out here, you know, get some time away from the city and stuff like that and just kind of, you know, enjoy nature a little bit. Mike Satterstrom admits he doesn't understand the appeal of online tree shopping either. But as long as people want to buy his trees, sight unseen, he's happy to box them up and send them on their way. For B-Side, I'm Tamara Keith, out at the tree farm. That's all for this month's edition of B-Side. Our crew is Dave Gilson, Lisa Mudd, and Claudine Zapp. Tamara Keith is our senior producer. Our theme music was composed by Dave Kaufman. B-Side will return on January 15th with a sound-filled show of audio postcards. In the meantime, On the Record is back January 1st. I'm Mia Lobel. Happy holidays, and thanks for listening.
around 